Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast, episode 85, Becoming Best Friends with Your Lower Brain. My name is Jesse Ellertson, and I am a certified life coach and a military wife who's in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to improve the experience that they are having in the process. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. Today, we are talking about one of my favorite topics, and it is our lower brain, because understanding our lower brain is key to our success in managing our minds. And I've just noticed a theme in the last couple of months as I've been working with my clients that has to do with the way they interact with their lower brain and the way their lower brain talks back to them and the success of how all of that is going. And really, so many of the people that I talk with and work with are striving to treat themselves better, to have a better relationship with themselves, to think more highly of themselves, to speak to themselves more kindly and respectfully and with grace and understanding. And a lot of people know that's what they're going for, but they don't know how to create it. That's the challenging part is how do I go about creating that? I know that's what I want. I know that's the area I'm struggling in, but I don't know how to do it any differently. I don't know how to slow it all down and talk to myself differently. And I would like to say that this is a crucial piece of it. I don't know if it's the first piece or what, but I have learned in my own coaching and my own interactions that the way we interact with our lower brain is a crucial piece of improving that relationship with ourselves. So between discussing it a lot with my clients and knowing that that is what so many of us are trying to create is improving that relationship with ourselves, I decided it was time for a podcast episode on this topic. So I want to teach you guys a little bit about your lower brain. We've talked about it before, but we're just going to focus on it today. And then I want to walk you through a visualization of the way I envision my lower brain and the way I talk to my lower brain and the way my lower brain talks back to me. So you know your lower brain is your primitive brain, or another thing we call it is the toddler brain. And that's a really important title when it comes to what we're going to talk about today Because our lower brain is childlike. And when I imagine my lower brain as a child, I understand it better. And I anticipate it better. And I plan for it better. And I interact with it better. It's as if I'm interacting with a small child. Now, a lot of us that have not been managing our lower brain and are just starting to (laughs) slow it down and look at the difference between what's coming from my higher brain and what's coming from my lower brain, our lower brain can be very loud and powerful if we haven't been managing it and interacting with it in a very intentional way. And it can almost feel as if it's like another adult. So I'm already taking you a little bit to that visualization, but I'll get into it here in just a minute. And so our lower brain is the one that offers us doubts and concerns and criticism and judgment and confusion and just very, again, like basic primitive thinking. And it's the kind of thinking that it is seeking to keep us quiet and small and safe and not get out of our comfort zone and not try new things and not risk failure. And it's watching for danger and it's watching for people to not like us. And it's watching for people to judge us. And in turn, we're judging other people with our lower brain because we don't want anything to be different or new or scary or you know, it's, it's really fascinating. And so again, when we're at this point where we start to learn about what our lower brain is, we start to see interactions from our lower brain or, or, or thoughts coming from our lower brain. First of all, again, they're loud and powerful. They feel loud and powerful. And second of all, we tend to want to kind of 
find the cure for our lower brain because all of our problems seem to be coming from our lower brain in this moment, in this level of your awareness of how it works with your lower brain. We tend to want to throw it out. We think, oh, why do you keep doing this? You sabotage my plans. You sabotage my efforts. I want to go exercise and you're saying stay in bed, right? Or, or any, any goal or desire, our lower brain is often whispering like, don't do that. That's hard, scary, risky, whatever. It'll come up with all kinds of things. So we have to get through that part. And it's okay if you're still there. You may be not even sure what's your lower brain and your higher brain yet. That's kind of like that stage zero, maybe. Stage one is when we realize the difference between the two. And we want to throw away our lower brain because it appears to be the source of all of our problems. Stage two is when we realize, okay can't throw it away. It has to be here. I might as well learn to live with it and sort of we get to the point where we realize that it needs to be there. We realize it's important. We learn we learn to tolerate it and work with it and and that's a good stage to be in. But stage three is when we become best friends with our lower brain. And it is amazing. It feels so good. I want it for all of you. So be patient as you move through these stages when it comes to your relationship with your lower brain. Be okay with wherever you are right now and just know that if you keep working and keep understanding and keep trying, keep managing your mind, eventually you'll get to stage three where not only do you not want to throw it away, but you're not even just tolerating it anymore. You are best friends with it and you see it for all of its goodness and you love it. Now, let me just throw in this note here. I know I sound maybe a little bit like multiple personalities or something going on here, but I know that my lower brain is just me. It's just my thoughts inside my head. But again, I'm going to give you this visual where it has served me so well to imagine my lower brain almost as if it's a separate being standing outside of me, but just like right next to me. Like it's my partner in crime forever. It will never go away. (laughs) But I want to be able to converse with it. I want to be able to see it almost as separate from me so that I can slow it down and get a handle on what it's offering me and so that what it's offering me feels optional instead of just what I have to do because it's inside my brain, right? So when you hear me say, work with it, talk to it, you know, I know it's just me, but I, I interact with my lower brain. I have conversations with it. It's, it's very fascinating and very helpful to me. Okay, so now that you kind of understand these stages that we go through as we build this relationship with our lower brain, Definitely go back and listen to my podcast episode where I talk about the primitive brain, especially if you're in those earlier stages. You're really wanting to just develop an understanding of what the primitive brain is and be patient with yourself when you want to throw it away and know that if you just keep working on it, the the better stages are coming or not the better stages. They're not better than the stages you're in, but they feel better. Whatever stage you're in, just honor it and accept it and love it. Okay, so I want to describe to you very vividly what it can feel like to be at stage three and being best friends with your lower brain. And before I do that, I'm going to just give you a couple more thoughts. No matter what stage you're in, when you're first learning how to interact with your lower brain, and again, if you haven't been doing much mind management, your lower brain has kind of been able to be doing whatever it wants, kind of running the show at times at least. I want you to really envision that toddler brain, that word toddler, and we envision our lower brain as a small child. I don't know for you, it might be a three-year-old, it might be an eight-year-old. You can kind of figure out what age your lower brain is, but just whatever helps you visualize that your lower brain is childlike. That's really helpful to me. I want you to really get clear on the fact that it's not another adult. Your higher brain is the adult. Your higher brain is the one in charge. Your higher brain is the one that always takes the action. 
But sometimes, just like with children who aren't directed and instructed and guided and given, you know, limitations and restrictions to keep them safe and healthy and doing the things they need to do instead of just what they want to do all the time, right? If we're not doing that to a child, a child can be very entitled and spoiled and cranky and a little bit self-important, you know, all these things. So if you haven't been managing your mind, then there's a chance that your lower brain is kind of in that area. And if you feel like your lower brain is very loud, like we talked about, imagine another adult yelling at you. That would be very hard to work with, right? This is why I want your lower brain to be childlike in your visualization, to be a child. If another adult is being very loud in your direction, that can be intimidating and hard to reason with and reconcile with and talk to. But if a child is being loud in your direction, you're still in power, right? You're still the the one in charge. So imagine even like, you know, say a four-year-old or a five-year-old just screaming, angry and throwing a fit and demanding that you do something that you've now decided not to do. Because as you become familiar with your lower brain, you realize, oh, I want to not do everything my lower brain suggests to me because it often doesn't serve me. Your lower brain is going to throw a fit when you do this. And so as you see that loudness in your lower brain, I want you to imagine it a child being loud, throwing a fit and how you can still feel very in control in that situation. You don't need to necessarily stop the fit and you for sure don't need to do what the lower brain is throwing the fit about and begging you for because that will just increase the pattern of the lower brain expecting you to do that each time in the future. We're, we're trying to break some of those cycles and decondition your lower brain away from some of those things it's used to you doing when it demands it, right? I'll give you just a couple of quick examples here so you know what I'm talking about. That might be something like eating late at night or pushing snooze on your alarm three times or getting offended easily. Okay, so these are sort of indulgent behaviors. There's nothing wrong with them. But when someone says something potentially rude, your lower brain says, we should be offended by that. And then you say, oh, you're probably right. And then you get offended. Rather than pausing, thinking for a minute and deciding whether or not you want to be offended by it, right? Or if you're trying to be healthy and lose weight, eating at night probably isn't going to help that. And your lower brain is like, oh, we're hungry. This is when we eat. And if you start to say to your brain like, oh no, we don't eat late at night anymore. It's going to be like, what? We always eat late at night and eating late at night is so important and I'm so hungry. (laughs) You're really not hungry if it's 11 o'clock at night. It's just time to be sleeping, not eating. But your lower brain is going to send you, like literally send you hunger signals that are not real. You are not in need of nutrients or fuel and you may even have those like hunger pains, but they're mental hunger pains. It's really pretty fascinating. So that's just your lower brain throwing a fit. And it's like a child throwing a fit on the floor of Target, right? It's not very fun. It's uncomfortable. It's even like potentially embarrassing. You wish it weren't happening. You have an urge to stop it. And what will stop it is if you do the thing it's begging for, right? Like give it the candy. If what, you know, if the child is throwing a fit because it wants candy and you said no, okay? Okay, so yeah, that's how I want you to visualize it. Another important piece to this is to remind yourself regularly that your lower brain is always doing its job and it's doing its job well. And it's an important job. We never need our lower brain to stop doing its job. We just need to be the one that stays in charge. So I've heard a visual with this before is if you're in the driver's seat of a car and you go about your day and you have some emotions that come along in the car with you, but they're not driving 
And it's like your lower brain, again, just comes along with you. It's in the car with you, but you never give it the steering wheel. You never put it in charge. So it's always going to be there. It's always going to be doing its job. That part never needs to stop. And as soon as we cut down on that chatter in our head of like, I wish my brain would stop doing this. I wish it wouldn't think that way anymore or offer me those thoughts or give me all these urges to do these things that don't go along with what I'm really trying to create. That's going to be a huge piece of the drama coming down and the mental exhaustion coming down because that's just a ton of chatter that we don't even need to think anymore. The lower brain can just continually offer us the thoughts it wants to offer us, keep doing its job, and we can listen and then mostly not do it. Mostly we don't need to do and we don't want to do what the lower brain is offering us, but it needs to always offer it to us. And so as you continue on with this awareness and these stages and these visuals that show you that even if it doesn't feel like it, you make the choice to do the thing your lower brain offered you every time. And that's why we got to slow it down and see at what point did we make that choice. We want to not spend time thinking like it isn't even in my power. It just happens. I just do it. Like that's never the case. You're always offered the thought and then you decide if you want to operate from that thought. Okay, so I think that's enough preface on that. Now let's get into the visual of what stage three feels like. So now that you're aware of your lower brain and you're getting good at tolerating it, you're ready to go to the next stage where you're actually just feeling tons of love and appreciation for it and you're best friends with it. And so what this looks like is you imagine that child right next to you, okay, coming along with you everywhere. And if you are around children at all, you know that they they don't ever stop talking and your lower brain is really never going to stop talking and it doesn't need to. You just have to learn how to listen in a way that doesn't like sabotage you or take over, right? And it's amazing how when we have the correct expectations of our lower brain, just as when we have the correct expectations of a child, then what they're doing, their behavior is appropriate. Asking a million questions, wondering the same thing over and over. These are the kinds of things our lower brain does. Again, very childlike. Now, if a 30-year-old was asking the same question over and over, that would drive us crazy. But if a four-year-old is asking and wondering similar things throughout the day, you've already answered their question and they ask you again, while you might be maybe mildly annoyed, you'd be like, oh yeah, this is what four-year-olds do. So I want you to start saying things like that. Oh, this is what my lower brain does. And so when we have those correct expectations, those appropriate expectations of what our lower brain is going to do, we plan on it, right? we are so much more able to find like love and appreciation and respect and grace for what our lower brain is doing. We can actually see all the ways that our lower brain doing its job is serving us instead of we're really focused in like stage one and even a little bit in stage two of how much it's sabotaging us, but so much of what it does is really serving us and really valuable. And as you imagine this child next to you and you start to have a lot of love for this child for exactly the way they are, you don't need them to change at all. They need direction, they need guidance, just like a child, but they don't need to be any different. They can just keep being who they are, the child they are, and behaving at the level they are. And then I want you to start imagining the way you interact with this child, okay? So when your lower brain comes to you with fear or a concern or confusion, I want you to imagine as if a child had come to you with that concern, that fear. Uh, one way I like to describe this to my clients is saying, you know, if a, if a child came to you in the middle of the night and said, like, I had a bad dream, there was monsters in my closet, right? And they're crying and they're very upset. They're shaking. Okay. They're so scared of these monsters in the closet. Never would you say, or I would hope never would you say, like, that's so dumb. Monsters don't even exist. 
get out of here. Shut up. Be quiet. Don't, don't be afraid, right? You wouldn't just shut it down or dismiss it or send it away, the child. Instead, you would say something like, oh, that must have been so scary. That dream must have been so scary. I can see how when you think that monsters are in your closet and how you wonder if monsters are real, even if you pretty logically know they're not, how you would feel very scared. So you start by listening and understanding your lower brain and what it's offering you. You start by validating what it's offering you. And again, we don't have to live in a world where monsters exist just because our lower brain has offered this or just because our, uh, uh, this child has come to us with this bad dream. We don't now say like, you might be right. You know, validation doesn't mean that we're like encouraging them to believe this. We're just saying, I can see how when you think that way, you feel so scared. And then the next step you might take in that moment is to say like, let's go look in your closet. And then we can just both see together with the lights on that there's no monsters and that you're safe. Okay, and that is where when you're working with your lower brain, after you've listened to it and validated it, the next step is to comfort it and reassure it that everything's okay. And you don't just do it by saying like, stop worrying about that. Instead, you literally walk to the bedroom and look in the closet and turn on the light, right? And so you tell your lower brain why it's okay, why this time it's not dangerous. And the child will say to you, In that moment, they'll say, are you sure it felt so real? And that's exactly what your lower brain will do. It will question you again. It will say, I'm not so sure about this. I really think this is something we need to be super concerned about, super stressed about. I think this is a perfect time to have anxiety. Okay. And you reassure it again. You say, I'm sure I have all of these reasons why we don't need to be afraid this time. Why this part, this part's not dangerous. Why even if it goes poorly, you know, whatever it is that's happening in your life, right, that I'm comparing this to, we've got the bad dream going on with the small child, but in your life, it might be something like trying something new for the first time, you know, something that takes you out of your comfort zone. Your lower brain is going to say, this is so dangerous. I'm really afraid. We might fail. We might be bad at it. It might be embarrassing. We might regret that we did it. We might wish we had never tried. We might, you know, it's it's going to offer you so many reasons to be very concerned about this thing you're doing that's going to take you out of your comfort zone. And you listen to your lower brain, right? And you say like, I get why you would think that way. I get why you would think that there's a possibility that we could fail at this and that would be embarrassing. But I'm here to tell you that we only fail if we decide we failed. We only regret something if we decide we shouldn't have done it. If we decide to think thoughts like I shouldn't have even tried. We only f- believe we failed if we believe it's possible to fail. I love the, th- the sentence, you're either winning or learning, right? Failing isn't even in there. If, you, if it doesn't work, you're not even failing unless you decide, well, that was a failure. That's the only reason we ever feel like we've failed, if we decide it was a failure. And so you reassure your brain in this way. I can see why you're so afraid, but here's what I know. And then you show your lower brain all the reasons why what you're saying is true and real and you give it evidence and you reassure it and comfort it. And this is all very quiet and calm and can happen very quickly, this conversation that you're having with yourself. And the other magical part that is that helps when you're remembering that your lower brain is childlike is you have to have this conversation over and over and over because you're going to get it all calmed down and back in bed. And then an hour later, that small child is going to come and say, I had another bad dream. And it's just going to be the exact same bad dream. Monsters in my closet again, or it'll be like a tiny variation. Now the monsters are under my bed. And this might be the moment when you're going to have an urge to be like, stop dreaming about monsters. You know, they're not real, right? But we don't say that to kids. And we don't, we don't, it's not going to help to talk that way to your lower brain. What the relationship I want you to have with your lower brain is you being willing to reassure it every time however many times it takes. 
it's going to keep coming to you and saying, I'm really worried there's danger here. I'm worried this is a bad idea. I'm worried none of this is going to work. And you just listen and reassure, listen and reassure. And as you do this, your lower brain is going to start to know I, it's safe for me to come to my higher brain with my concerns. My higher brain will listen and reassure. It won't shut me down. It won't ignore me. It won't indulge in me anymore. Like, you know, when a child is used to getting what it wants when it screams and throws a fit, it's just going to scream and throw fits all day long to get what it wants. But when a child is used to having limitations and used to be used to someone saying, I hear you, but that's a no. Like, I love you, but that's a no. We're not going to do that this time then it accepts the no so much better. And so this is your relationship is really going to just develop to a very sweet point in this place when you get to this level three. And now I want to discuss a little bit what those interactions look like. So in earlier stages, as you were learning to manage your lower brain, I've had lots of my clients describe it to me this way that my, my brain is so loud and the thoughts and feelings are so strong and it's really hard to overcome them, right? And hopefully in a lot of areas, even if there's still some areas where the lower brain still gets loud, right? Things have calmed down and quieted down. We don't have to deal with so many fits and so much yelling, but the lower brain will forever offer you its thoughts. But what that looks like when you're in stage three is a whole different kind of interaction. So imagine a child looking up at the adult, which is you, and saying like, are you sure we don't have to be worried right now? And then you say, yeah, I'm sure. We don't have to be worried right now. And it looks up at you and says... I don't know. I'm, it's feeling like this is a good time to be worried. And you say, no, it's okay. We don't need to be worried right now. This part's okay. We're safe. You know, you're reassuring it. And then it offers you another thought of like, I remember last time we did this, it didn't feel very good. And you say, no, that's okay. This time is going to be different. You know, and you just continually talk back and forth with it, but it's such a different kind of interaction. It's a, it's a questioning and an offering. And did you notice, like your lower brain might say to you something like, did you see that over there? Is that scary? And you say, no, that's not scary. We're okay. You know, it's not always going to be about scary and danger. It's going to be specific to whatever you're experiencing, but I'm talking kind of in these general sentences so that you can understand this broader concept and then work to apply it in your own life. And it's such a manageable interaction. When this is the way you talk to your lower brain or talk to yourself, it could go all day without overwhelming you or, uh, you know, creating anxiety or whatever. But when your lower brain is throwing fits every three minutes, you can see how that would be really exhausting. So it's okay. You get through the fits and you work to decondition your brain to know like, I can scream and she still doesn't give me what I'm begging her to do. So then I got to try something else. And, and just as it would happen with a child, they start to employ other techniques to get what they want and then they still don't get what they want. And then they start to just realize that they're never going to get in the driver's seat. They're never going to hold on to that steering wheel. And they're never going to have a hold of that steering wheel anymore like you used to let it have. And then it just starts to ask questions and to offer you optional thoughts. And you say, no, thank you. I hear you, but that one doesn't work out very well for me. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. It's so cool, you guys. It's so cool. I really love the interactions I have with my lower brain now for the most part. The final visual I want to offer you, and and one reason I give you so many visuals is because different visuals are going to resonate with different brains. So not everybody, you know, associates with little kids. Little kids is a great visual for me because I associate with little kids and I love my little kids and that helps me love my lower brain because I know my lower brain is childlike. But I love to give you lots of visuals because that's not going to be everybody's jam and that's totally fine. So this is the final visual I'm going to leave you with today. I want you to imagine that what's going on in your brain with your higher brain and your lower brain and then you as the operator 
you as the person who takes the action and does the things, right? We, we, do, we do everything in the action line, our body does. I want you to imagine it's like you're on a stage and you're the only one on the stage. You're the solo performance, okay? You're standing front and center. You've got lights on you. There's a big crowd. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if there's a crowd. If a crowd stresses you out, there's no crowd. It's fine. No people in the audience, but there's empty chairs or whatever. And when you, in a play, when someone forgets their line, typically there's someone backstage uh, whispering, you know, prompting you for the next line, right? So I want you to imagine that you have people on stage left and people on stage right, ready to cue you with your next line that you're going to say or, you know, to do in your life, take action in your life. And you have your higher brain on one side saying, try this. This feels good. Here's something that would serve us. And then you have your lower brain on the other backstage, you know, stage left, whatever, that is saying like, this is a terrible idea. We should go home. We should quit while we're ahead. Let's not even try. You know, it's offering you these thoughts that it's attempting to keep you safe, right? Just like we've talked about. And if we haven't been managing our mind, then it's as if the lower brain has been running out on stage and delivering the line itself. Instead of just offering you the line or prompting you with the next line that you could choose if you wanted to, you haven't put any rules in place. And so it, it is feeling so urgent about the line it wants you to deliver. And you're standing there and just right in that second, not saying anything that it runs out on stage and delivers the line for you. And when that's what's happening in our brain, when we're in that, those earlier stages, stage zero and even stage one, that's when we catch ourselves saying, you know, it didn't even feel like it was a choice. It just happened. Like it moves so quickly and so seamlessly that you don't even see the part where you could have slowed it down and made a different decision and chosen a different thought and operated from a different feeling, right? And that just takes a little time to slow that down and start to teach your lower brain who's backstage saying like, you never deliver the lines. It's always me. Your job is to just offer me my next line. And every time I'll get an offering from my higher brain, an offering from my lower brain, and I can choose either side. Both are fine. It's whatever I want to do in that moment. But it's always me picking one line or the other. You never run out on stage. It's always me that delivers the lines. And I, it's always a choice. If I'm going to do the line you're offering me, I will pick it and then I will say it. And that's how you just slow all that down. And it puts your lower brain in its place. Your lower brain needs to be put in its place sometimes very lovingly but firmly sometimes just like, you know, firm parenting <laughs> and you need to teach it the rules. Here are the rules, lower brain. I deliver the line every time. Every thought in the world is available to me and every thought in the world is optional. So it will offer you its line and it will always be an option for you, but never the thing you have to do. So that's a really powerful way to kind of envision your choices in the matter. It's your choice every time. And if you're struggling with it feeling like a choice, I think that's one place to really start. I hope that this helped you understand your lower brain even more and that it starts you on this journey of working towards becoming best friends with your lower brain. You guys are partners in crime. You get the job done together. When you learn to work with your lower brain instead of against it, the world opens up to you. It's incredible and I can't wait for you to really get to those levels where you see that, that see that happening in your life it feels amazing and that is what i have for you guys today are you ready to take what you are learning here to the next level then join me in resiliency training this is my monthly coaching program that includes a private session with me each month along with weekly content and individual email support 
Start anytime for just $100 a month and continue at that rate as desired with no obligation. We can all use a little help sometimes to get through the challenges of military life and that's exactly the boost this program will give you. Sign up on my website, simplyresilient.net. I can't wait to work with you.